we've been, if you've been with us this summer, you know we're, we're, in, uh, we're at the end of our series that has been moving through the Psalms called Soul Cry. And what we're working through is learning how our emotions can actually be funneled in their rawness, in the place where they are, to a God who is big enough to handle our fear, our anger, our lament, our joy, our sorrow, all of the different emotions that we run on a regular basis. And so I wanted us this morning to just have a few minutes to sit with this question. And how have you been challenged, shaped, and wrecked or wrecked by the Psalms this summer? So as the summer wraps up, my prayer is that we continue to sit with this. Lord, wreck me, challenge me, encourage me through your word, through the scriptures. Uh, this morning's going to be a little bit different. Uh, ben uh, Pitson, uh, he's part of the, the Lansdale House Church. He's going to be co-teaching with me. And so we're really excited as we embark on the last emotion that we're going to be looking at. Uh, this summer. So let me pray before we begin. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for the ways in which you have continued to allow us to come to you with the, the rawness of what we're feeling inside. Lord, thank you for giving us the scriptures that, that help us with words and that give us permission to fall onto you, uh, to, to express our emotions to you in a way that is God-honoring. Lord, thank you for not pushing us away when we're angry or sad or frustrated, but for being a God who invites us in. So Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts and that you would help us to hear your, your word and your voice this morning as we try to pay attention to the movement of your spirit. In, the name, in your name we pray. Amen. Psalm 10, 15. Break the arms of these wicked, evil people. Go after them until the last one is destroyed. Psalm 59, 13. Destroy them in your anger. Wipe them out completely. Psalm 137, 9 and 10. O daughter Babylon, you devastator. Happy shall they be who pay you back what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. Psalm 140, verse 10. Let burning coals fall on them. Let them be flung into pits no more to rise. If you're anything like me, you read these verses and you hear that anger and it makes you a little uncomfortable. And maybe you start to ask some difficult questions. Why is this in the Psalms? Is it okay to pray for the destruction of others? Is it really okay to be that angry? As Christians, aren't we supposed to, are we even allowed to display that kind of raw emotion, especially raw anger? We can't do that in worship, can we? So, what do we do with these verses? But more importantly, 
What do we do with our anger and with the anger of others? So we're probably not going to answer all those questions this morning. uh, And probably more will be asked along the way. But hopefully we can gain a better understanding of anger and a healthier approach to it. And I think one of the first things that I think is important to make clear is that anger in and of itself is not bad. I think it's a pretty common misconception that anger is bad and that it should be avoided, hidden, or ignored. And that's a dangerous misconception because inevitably we all get angry. It's unavoidable. And if we think anger is bad, then we're probably not going to deal with it in a healthy way. Now certainly, we've likely all made some bad decisions when we were angry. And some of us have been victims of somebody else's abusive anger. But it is not the actual anger itself that is bad. Anger is simply a feeling or an emotion. How we respond to that feeling can be bad or it can be good. So we need to recognize that we have a choice in how we respond to our anger. And I believe that the truth is that anger is actually a good thing. Anger happens in relationship. It's a feeling that acts as a warning signal that all is not well and something needs to change. It happens when we feel that someone has acted unjustly, unrighteous against us or against someone else. It happens when we feel that one of our needs is not being met or we have unmet expectations. But anger is a vivid form of caring. And it has an important place within the work of love. Theologian Beverly Harrison poignantly writes that where anger is hidden or goes unattended, masking itself, there the power of love, the power to act, to deepen relation, atrophies and dies. Because anger is meant to be restorative. It is intended to draw draw attention to something that is not right and what needs to be done to fix it so that reconciliation can occur. The function of anger is to protest the violation against God's good creation. Anger is also a very energizing emotion. And that energy, when harnessed by love and expressed correctly, can spur us toward redemptive, restorative action. Anger has actually been a very key ingredient for many good and effective efforts for change. Cornell West West wrote that it was love that fueled the anger, that fueled the defiance of many of the civil rights leaders. But in order for anger to be good, we have to learn how to channel and express that anger in healthy ways. And that is no easy process. So how many of you experienced anger 
in one way or another in the last seven days? Just a poll of hands. All right. How about in the last four days? Show of hands. How about this morning? Show of hands. All right. Yeah. Good. We are we're in the right place then. <laughs> one of the things that we have to understand when it comes to talking about anger is anger is, is a place where, where we feel like we have been treated unfairly. And one of the ways that's good for us to frame uh, anger is the, a, a discussion around kingdom. And so what comes to your mind when you think of kingdom? Uh, a lot of us, we think of um, maybe Camelot uh, or uh, we think of fairy tales and kings and queens and princes. Um, but many of us don't have very rooted understanding, in fact, by living in a kingdom. It's difficult to grasp for us uh, when, when we as people have power to join together and make a decision to put a certain person in office. And that person does not dictate over the entire rule of the land, but he works with Congress and senators and democracy and they make decisions together. But as we understand what a, what a kingdom is, each kingdom has a king or a queen. Um, and, and kings and queens are concerned with a few things. They're concerned with power, authority, control, and dominion. They're concerned with their land. They're concerned with making sure everything is safe and, and subjects are taken care of. But the key word that we have to understand as we think about kingdoms is the word authority. And as we think about authority and kingdoms, we have to also recognize that we also have our own little kingdoms. And a kingdom is anywhere a person or you or me or, or someone has some sort of control or authority um, over, over something or someone. That is a kingdom. It's the range of your effective will. And it's one of those places where your choice determines the outcome. Whatever, it's a place where whatever we say, we have certain power over. And the truth is, is we are all kings and queens, whether we're big or small, and whether the roles are significant or insignificant. But all of us, we have our own kingdoms. And sometimes the way that we only recognize that we have a kingdom is when our kingdom is invaded. When we get angry, when we experience ang anger, most of the times it is because your kingdom has been invaded in some way, shape, or form. So some of those ways, and I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this, but maybe your internet connection slows down. It's an invasion of your kingdom, and you're just angry. Um, for me, it's when I drive by the gas station and I see the gas prices continually rising. Um, it happens when, when, when someone lies to you. Being a parent, your kingdom is invaded 24-7. Uh, it's like there is an invading continent living in your borders and you're working your hardest to try to, to, con to convince them that it's better to be part of your kingdom than their own. And we see it, right? Uh, you ever watch little children play? Uh, when you take something that's theirs, they're not like, oh, it's okay, you can go ahead and borrow that. They're like, no, give it back, stop. 
That's my toy. Tears, screaming, rage, people, you know, the earth is shattering. Uh, many of us experience our kingdoms invaded when we're driving on the road. Uh, and, and for me, it's when I watch someone uh, in the car in front of me going like this every five seconds. I know they're not reading. I know they're not making sure their horn stuff is okay. They're like reading emails or texting or whatever. Or, and, you know, I, I don't know if any of you have ever driven around this area and been cut off by someone. Um, it's frustrating. <laughs> That's great. Um, we find our kingdoms invaded when we get an unexpected bill in the mail. Uh, when something in our home breaks. Or even more so when our health fails. When someone else steals or when a neighbor borrows uh, without asking and decides never to return it. When you show me the times, when I look at the times in my life when I am angry the most... I can sh- you can you can take a look and see what kingdom boundaries that I have put up, and so you show me the times that you get angry, and we can take a look at what you have defined your kingdom to be. As Ben said, anger is not a bad thing, and we need to recognize that. But when anger goes unchecked, it grows destructive roots into our lives and hearts, and it turns our lives bitter and 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 rageful and resentful. And angry. I love the passage in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. It says, it says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Like listen to that first phrase, be angry. That's not if you are angry, be. There's, there, there's a command there, be angry. But in our anger, do not sin. And when we realize that our kingdoms have been invaded, we have three options for dealing with our anger. And the first thing that we do, some of us do, is we repress it. Someone offends us, someone hurts us, um, we're really upset about something, we just shove it down. Uh, We push it down, we try to hide it. Um, This is extremely unhealthy. When we repress stuff, you you ever get a big beach ball and try to hold it under the water? It's not really successful. The thing's slippery and it just pops up and it shoots up. But that's what happens. We are not good at repressing the emotion of anger. Eventually it has to come out. Which leads us to our second response that we see when we're confronted and our kingdoms are invaded. And we lash out. So some of us, we repress it for a while, but eventually as we repress it, that anger has to find an outlet. And so we lash out. And that's scary. Have any of you ever been around someone who is just angry? It's like you're walking on eggshells and you're like, you're just, you're worried. Um, I've heard stories uh, of, of different people that have grown up and their parents were rageaholics. And they said when we would come home, we, we'd look and, and kind of check and see. And if, if like my brother got home first, he'd give me the thumbs up or the thumbs down to let me know how dad is. But some of us have been in a situation like that. We know. Some of us may even be people who, are, who, who lash out, who have this amazing amount of anger just under the surface. And it's amazing. People that lash out, it's like the littlest things um, seem to set them off. The top blows off. And unchecked, this turns into domestic violence. 
It turns into to verbal abuse. It turns into emotional abuse. It turns into physical abuse and all kinds of things. And the damage that is done by anger in this way is, is sometimes, it seems almost unsurmountable. Like it can't be fixed. It takes years and years and years to work through anger that is expressed through lashing out. I, I recognize this a lot as a hockey ref. Um, it's this, you know, all of a sudden these two guys are skating down the ice, one guy taps him on the stick, and then the guy has a shirt over his head and is punching him in the face. And you're like, what? He tapped your stick. Grow up. Like, relax. It's going to be okay. But we see it. We see it at work. We see it at all these different places. And what happens here is we see yelling and screaming, and it, te- it tends to shut the conversation and dialogue down. Our third response that we have is the hardest, but the most healthy. And so what do we do when we're angry? Do we repress it? Do we lash out? No. We pay attention to it. And we confess to God, and we yield to His heart. You see, we ask the question when we begin to pay attention, why am I angry? Where has my kingdom been invaded? And we confess it to God and then we begin to yield that emotion to God. And the Psalms are chalked full of words and ways in which we can join with the psalmist and pray these anger prayers. That God in His, in His beauty and His fullness gives us a vocabulary to use as we pray. Our dealing it with anger is not a walk in the park uh, Longman and Allender in, in their book Soul Cry, which has been in the back table, and I highly recommend it. Uh, fantastic book, but they talk about anger as a dark energy that demands for the self a more tolerable word, world of now, instead of waiting for God's redemption according to, desi- to divine design and timing. And that's what we see when we look at the scriptures and, and we think about Jonah uh, in the, uh, chapter 4. And Jonah is angry because God said he was going to destroy Nineveh and now God is not and he's released his anger and he's, he's relented of his anger towards Nineveh. And, and Jonah's angry with God. And God asks this to Jonah. He says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? And this question helps us to think, where has my kingdom been invaded? There's a passage in Matthew 6:33 and it says seek first my kingdom and all these things will be added to you. And when we seek God's kingdom and his ways, what happens is we we essentially say, okay, I'm kind of a bad king. I'm not really good at this. And so I'm going to I'm going to come under your kingdom, Jesus, and I'm going to let my kingdom be absorbed by your kingdom. And so when we begin to start seeing God and seeing His kingdom and what His kingdom should look like, we begin to step away from this anger and this rage because we recognize that we've been forgiven so much and we learn how to forgive. But because anger deals not just with our own hearts, but it's a lot of times worked out in relationships, we need to understand that it's also a communal thing. Uh, the truth is, is that one of the parts that I loved about Cheryl and Julie's story is how they're shaped by community, how we are shaped by community. And the truth is, is that we need one another to grow. One of the ways that we see anger fall is by confessing our anger to the Lord 
and by letting our brothers and sisters know where we are struggling. Borrowing words from Julie and Cheryl by being authentic. And one of the things that we have to understand is that as we borrow the uncomfortable words of the Psalms, that is where we begin to have the language to understand how to pray our anger and put it to the place where God can begin to work on it. And the truth is, is we need community to help us with our own anger because we are not meant to carry anger on our own. And at the same time, we have to learn how to deal with anger together as a community. Uh, So if we recognize that we need others to help us with our own anger, we also have to recognize that we need to be that community for others. Uh, If we look at the Psalms where all of this anger is expressed, we start to see the reason for that anger. And most of the time, it's injustice, whether it's injustice uh, that's personal. Something did something, somebody did something to me, and I'm mad about it. Or it's communal. It happened to a group of people, and we're mad about it. But as we read those uncomfortable psalms expressing anger, it's, it's tempting to overlook them to move on and find those warm and fuzzy verses that make us feel good. I know because I've done it many times. But such verses crying for vengeance should draw our attention to the depth of agony and pain experienced by the Israelites as they suffered unthinkable atrocities and injustices. And as we read their anger... Not only are we reminded of the anger in our own hearts, but we are also called to listen to the voices of anger echoing throughout our communities, our nation, and our world today. So that when we see the protests of the people in Ferguson, Missouri, we can't just dismiss them as angry and irrational, even though we may not condone the violence that some have committed. Because we know that behind that anger is pain. And we need to ask, why are they angry? What injustice have they experienced? What hurt are they struggling with? And if we really listen to their anger, we might hear that it's more than just the shooting of an unarmed man, although there's certainly pain and anger over the loss of a life that God has deemed sacred. And as we listen, we might begin to understand the depths of fear and distrust about whether the case is going to be investigated and prosecuted fairly and justly. We might also hear the anger over suffering repeated discrimination and excessive use of force by police officers, and then seek to learn about other killings, such as that of Eric Garner in New York, Ezel Ford in L.A., Oscar Grant in Oakland, to name only a few. And if we listen, we might hear the voice of Kevin Powell saying, it's just a reckless disregard 
for the safety of the community they're supposed to be protecting. It feels like they just don't care. And we might uncover some depths of agony from a history, an ongoing legacy of racism, a history that includes slavery, Jim Crow laws, and other injustices, a legacy that includes a system that is socially and economically unjust, one in which the typical white family's household wealth is over ten times that of a black household. And the poverty rate is three times higher for blacks. And a society whose prison systems are disproportionately populated by people of color. And we might hear the voices of people from other ethnic backgrounds expressing their pain and anger about the discrimination and injustice they've experienced because it's not just a black and white issue. And even though, as I do, we may have some pent-up anger towards police officers, we recognize that we're called to listen to them too. And we hear the voices of people like the former chief of police in Portland, Maine, saying, you better believe that I get angry at the things that I see, the fights, the cases of domestic abuse, even rapes. Back when I first went on the job all charged up about becoming a cop, I never dreamed that all these years later I would spend as much time as I do just praying for peace of mind, just praying that my own anger doesn't make me do something crazy. And of course, there are also other conflicts and injustice going on around the world that should rightfully make us angry. There's anger in Ukraine and Russia. There's anger in Israel and Palestine. There's anger in Iraq and Syria. Because wherever there is injustice, there is anger. And maybe as a church... We haven't been angry enough about such things. Or maybe our misconceptions of anger are keeping us from truly loving our neighbors. Maybe as we listen and hear these stories, we should get so ticked off that we actually need that ice bucket challenge just to cool us off, enough to think of creative and constructive ways to pursue reconciliation, restoration, justice, and peace. But we have to listen. I believe that the Psalms demonstrate God's ability to handle our anger, even when it's God that we may be angry at. But God takes that anger and uses it for restorative, reconciling, shalom purposes. And I believe that as the body of Christ We are called to listen to the anger of others in a similar way, to discern the pain and the injustices at the root of their anger. And as we hear the cries of anger throughout our world today, we are called to submit that anger to the Lord, entrust it to God, and seek his wisdom, to seek to have our anger energy 
guided by the Holy Spirit to creative and constructive expressions in the pursuit of justice, peace, and shalom. Because when we listen to the anger of injustice, we remember Jesus' inaugural sermon. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And we also remember our Lord's warnings about anger and his command that we be reconciled to our brothers and our sisters. And we also remember his hard teaching to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Anger is a difficult thing. It can escalate quickly and seemingly uncontrollably. But we need to pay attention to our own anger and the anger of others, which is no small task. But if we think about it, we think about our own angers, we probably realize that often when we're angry, what we want most is to be heard and understood, which is probably why we start to talk a little bit louder when we're angry. And I think that maybe that's the wisdom of the psalmist. They realized that they needed to take it to the Lord. They wanted their pain and their anger and who they are to be acknowledged. And so they, they voiced it to God because they knew that he would listen and he would understand. So as we hear the angry cries around the world and from our own heart, we remember the words of God coming from the burning bush. I have heard the cries of my people. Indeed, I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them. And in the midst of our pain and anger, we can also hear Christ saying, I come that you may have life. Abundant life. And so we seek to let our anger fuel us, harnessed by love, guided by the Holy Spirit, to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God, to pursue healthier, holier relationships with ourselves, with our families, with our neighbors and with our world. As we wrap up our teaching portion of worship, we want to allow some time for formation through prayer. We want to open up a time for you all to voice your angers out loud in the presence of God and in the presence of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we know that some may be struggling with ongoing battles with their own anger. And some may be wrestling with anger over situations of injustice in the world. Some may be struggling, going through some really hard times, and are angry at God 
because he hasn't shown up the way, they th- the way we thought he should. And some may be wrestling with anger they have about being the victims of somebody else's abusive anger. So we want to voice those angers to God. We're going to have a prompt up on the screen to lead us in this time. God, I get angry when, and I invite you, as you feel led, please shout out your anger to the Lord and in the company of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Voice your anger aloud to the God who hears and understands, who uses anger for restoration and renewing. Father, we thank you for the gift of anger, even when it's uncomfortable. We pray for your wisdom and your guidance and your courage to voice our anger to others, to seek help in expressing our anger in a healthy, restorative way so that our relationships can be made whole, so that we can see justice in our world. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us in using our anger as you do to bring shalom, to bring the furtherance of your kingdom and not ours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.